Hello, family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4.23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's Word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the type of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. Hey, right after the service, uh, this service in the in the commons, there will be a, uh, a walkthrough of the campus. If anybody has not been to certain parts of the campus, you're like, I don't even know where the youth meet. Uh, and you'd like to go up to the loft, I know that there's a group that'll be taking a tour. So uh, that'll be a, a great opportunity just to, to see the campus and understand the ministries that are happening. Um, kindergartners through second grade, you guys can head to Sunday school there, right there in the back. Um, the, our children's ministry team does an incredible job of uh, contextualizing the message for, for that, that age group, and then they come back and join us uh, at the close of service towards communion. And so uh, if you got kiddos, I encourage you to send them back there. They're also welcome to stay in here. That's totally fine too. Uh, so as we continue in worship, we are uh, diving into a sermon series called Spiritual Detox. Uh, looking at every, every year, we kind of start these new uh, trends. We start new, um, new habits. We try to take on new things. Uh, apparently this year, my new habit is, uh, is friendship bracelets. Um, the, uh, the confirmation class, they have bingo. And unbeknownst to me, part of the bingo is to bring Clint a friendship bracelet. So as this wrist grows, this friendship br- bracelet grows all the way up my arm, you'll know uh, the reason why. Um, I'm, uh, I'm excited to take on you know, some new things. Thanks, Blake. Really appreciate you on that. But I'm gonna have like 28 new friends, which is great. I'm so excited. It's my first two right here. Yeah, I love it. I love it. But every year we, um, we start this, we kind of look back at ourselves, self-reflect. We, um, we begin to look at a... a a greater commitment to ourselves to, to eat better or um, maybe to get more exercise, to, to, do, uh, to do more at work or to do less at work, uh, maybe to read more or to pray more, to reflect more, all of these things that we try to do in this new year, in these transition times in our lives. Well, we're about the third Sunday of January, so this is a pretty convenient time for us to, to lose the list, Right? Uh, all of the list of the things that we had planned to do, they start to kind of slip away at this point, right? Uh, anybody here still going strong on their New Year's resolutions? You are better than I am. Um, but we begin to, begin to kind of backslide. We slip back into our old ways. New old patterns begin to creep back into our lives. And if they hadn't done it by then, the freeze, being locked in your house, for extended periods of time, brought new records on screen time, new records on Netflix, and, uh, and those, those uh, white cheddar Cheeto puffs that have been calling your name the whole time you've been neglecting, they just are sitting there and they're just waiting for you in the pantry. In transitions, it's when we evaluate who we are and where we are. We all do it. 
It's, it, whether it's by examining like a laundry list of all of our insufficiencies or stacking up our successes next to other people's successes, we begin to give a, a, an understanding of who we are and where we are. So as we lean into this sermon series called Spiritual Detoxes, and more importantly, as we lean into the scripture, we get to, to look today in, in Romans chapter 12, ways in which God is calling us back to our spiritual identities, freed from the, the toxins and the trappings of the world, and the ways in which God is calling us forward to a, a new lens in which we view the world around us. We'll see today the lens that Paul gives us in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy. If you have your Bibles, uh, Romans chapter 12, I encourage you anytime to bring, bring your Bibles um, because there's oftentimes context that we uh, aren't able to get to in the course of the sermon, but it's good for you to read a little bit before and read a little bit after um, to have a better understanding. The screen uh, will have some Bible, uh, some text up here, but it's not up there the whole time. And so if you're looking at, at the text and you want to kind of process it a little bit more, I just encourage you to have your own Bible. If you, if you have your phone Bible, you can use that too. But I think, I think there's something rich to the, the, the leather bound where you can write some notes and, and underline some things. In our text today, uh, Paul is writing a letter to the church in Rome. Uh, this is meant to be a circulatory letter, so it means he would send it to the church and then they would send it around to different people. This is, uh, Romans is a beautiful picture of, of the mercies of God. It's a beautiful picture of the, the, the path of salvation. Uh, some people call the, the Romans road, a uh, road towards Christ. As we understand theologically what is happening in Christ's resurrection, Christ's death, and in, in what it means for us as we live out our lives. Romans 12 is kind of a hinge point, though. He, be, he goes from talking about God's plan for salvation, God's great plan for salvation in chapters 1 through 11, and at, at chapter 12, he, he pivots. And this verse, this, this, these two verses are kind of the pivot point for Paul, helping us from 12 on to understand what it means to, to practically live out this new life in Christ, to, to how to move forward in our faith, how to journey in our faith with the Spirit, and also how to walk in God's will. It's a question that we've all asked ourselves, right? Like, how do I know if I'm in God's will? How do I know if this decision that I'm making right now is the right decision? Because I don't want to screw up God's will, right? I don't want to go a completely different way and then my path is totally messed up for the rest of my life because I got off, off the path of God's will. How do I know that this is God's will? Well, Paul leads us on that journey. Starting in verse one in Romans, I'm gonna pause a few times here and there uh, to help illuminate the density of this text a little bit. So he begins... Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Anytime that Paul uses, or anybody in Scripture uses the word therefore, it, it is an indicator that we ought to know and understand what happened beforehand so that we can better understand what is happening in the right now, the, the, the next words that he is going to say. For years, I've read this text and jumped immediately to all of the action items within the text, right? 
I'm an action kind of person. I love, love to do. I don't, uh, not just like a sit, sit around and talk about it, think about it, slow down, meditate kind of person. I love to go and do and to, to be on it. But this passage, I miss, I've missed this for, for 38 years of my life. Move straight to offering your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, all of those things that we ought to go and do. But Paul wants to slow us down for a moment with this phrase, in view of God's mercy. You see, what Paul's doing here is he's giving us a new lens in which to view the rest of our lives. In view of God's mercy. Now, mercy is one of those commonly used words in the church. One of those words that that we uh, so often use, but rarely pause to define. Rarely pause to consider what that means. My first understanding of mercy was when my brother uh, tackled me to the ground after a a game of of football where uh, I inevitably was, uh, I obviously beat him because I always do, right? Uh, but my older brother grabs me and he throws me to the ground and he, he pins me down and he starts poking at, the top, at my head. He says, say mercy, say mercy, say mercy. And he just keeps going until I, and I utter, utter those words. Or that, that game where you, you, you take each other's hands and you bend it back until the person's arm is about to break and then finally they say mercy, Right? Our, our understanding of mercy is, is different from different contexts. Our perspective of it is different. One, for one, it is uh, an extreme pain that we have to submit to so that we can finally have relief. But what Paul lines out in the book of Romans, when he says, in view of God's mercy, therefore, in view of God's mercy, Chapters 1 through 11, he has lined out what God's mercy is for us. Romans chapter 2, they're not up on the screen, but um, I'm just going to run through some of the things that Paul talks about when he talks about the mercy of God. Romans chapter 2, he says, it is his kindness that leads us to repentance, not anger. It's not his anger that leads us to repentance. We're not talking uh, John Edwards, Puritan preacher, sinners in the hands of an angry God kind of kind of a God, kind of mercy, but we're talking about uh, God's kindness. His gentleness is what leads us to repentance. Don't confuse his wrath, which was satisfied on the cross, with his mercy. The, The author in Lamentations, remember, said his mercies are new every morning for you. Romans 5, 8, we see, uh, Yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies of God, while we were in direct rebellion of God, while we had our our backs completely turned to God, in that moment, without, without our repentance, without us turning back to him, he died for us. That is his mercy. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Not a gift that we deserved, because we deserve death. It is his mercy that is a gift to us. Romans 8, 1, therefore, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In simplest terms, church, 
the mercy of God is his unending, undeserved love for us at all costs, even in spite of us. His unending, undeserved love for us at all costs, even in spite of us. God's mercy is defined by his love, not his anger. Not his desire to control us or to some twisted means of manipulation of, of, a, of a, a lesser people. His deep and unending love. What Paul is saying in this text, in, in, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, is that Understanding God's mercy is essential for how we live out the rest of our lives. Not, uh, not so focused on our insufficiencies, not so focused on our flaws and our faults, but keeping God's mercy ever in our view. How often is our lens based on our faults? Now, this is foundational for who we are as followers of Christ. And church, when was the last time that you allowed this reality to move you? Like not just, not just mentally, like I get it, God's mercy. I like I know that because I've heard it time and time again in church, God's mercy, God's love, God's grace. But when was the last time you allowed it to move you? to penetrate beyond the flesh, beyond uh, the surface, to, to actually move from our head to our heart? When was the last time you wept? Because you understood that without God's grace and mercy, I am nothing. Without God's grace and without God's mercy, I am a sinner with no hope. This ought to move us in our, in our relationship with Christ. It ought to uh, guide us in everything that we do. I'm convinced, and so is Paul, because he saw it firsthand, that if we have a, an entire congregation of people who truly get this and live out of this worldview, then it will rattle the gates of hell and spark revival in our land. A heart recognition of his mercies on our lives is what sparked the Methodist movement way back when with John Wesley. It is what birthed the foundation of the Acts Church and what moved them forward in Christian action. But church, when we lose sight of God's mercy, when we lose sight of God's grace in our lives, when it is no more than knowledge to us, when we don't allow it to penetrate into our hearts, it leaves an, a, a, a gap in our hearts that the enemy then moves into and fills with toxins and begins to sow seeds of shame in our lives. When that space is not filled with God's mercies, it will be filled with our shame. If God loves us outside of what we have done in our past, we should do that too. If God is able to give mercy and forgiveness, then so should we. I mean, I experience this all the time. In pivotal moments in my life and even very mundane moments of my life where I sit and I pause, oftentimes the enemy tries to flood back in all of the flashbacks of misspoken words from previous conversations 
of careless or sinful actions that may have hurt others or even worse, weakened my witness in the world. I let the enemy tell me who I am instead of looking at my life and looking at the world through the the mercies of God. When God's mercy falls out of view, we give the enemy a foothold to speak lies into our lives. Go back and read the first, first 11 chapters of Romans. Sit in it. Allow God's love to pour over you. Allow God's heart, his mercies for you to, to penetrate deeper into our hearts and into our souls. Allow his mercies to become new to you every morning. Would you be moved, moved by the mercies of God? Paul continues on, out of his mercies comes, I urge you brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Worship. There are, um, the end goal of, of this is worship. There are uh, four words that are oftentimes used that we kind of translate as worship in the Greek. Uh, one of those words, the most common word uh, in the Greek is proskunio. That word means to actually, it's a compound word that means to kiss towards. Like, like you would kiss uh, the ring of a king, uh, you would show your honor and your respect towards an object, towards a thing. Uh, it's the same, same word that they used in the, the Greek temples to, to worship these other gods. It's a, an honor, a showing of value towards the, that thing which is greater than I. It is a, a prostrate myself. We, that's where we get our word prostrate, um, to lay down before, to, to, to humble ourselves before something that is much greater. This isn't the word that Paul uses. Rarely is the word translated this way, latrian. Latrian is uh, better understood in ser- as service towards something. So we recognize the, the, the value of something and then we live our lives in service towards something. What Paul is saying is that this, the mercies of God, the lens in which we view God, the mercies of God shouldn't just lead us to, uh, to give thanks and to honor God, but it should also lead us to acts of service. It should lead us out into the world. Pope Francis said it this way, let us be renewed by God's mercy. Let us be loved by Jesus. Let us enable the power of his love to transform our lives too. And hear this, let us become agents of this mercy. Channels through which God can water the earth, protect all creation, make justice and peace flourish. What a beautiful image that when we understand God's mercies for us, when we truly allow that to penetrate our hearts and in our lives, we become agents of that mercy to the rest of the world. We become channels or ravines in which the, the mercies of God flow out into the rest of the world to water and nourish the rest of the world. What a beautiful image for what it means to understand the mercies and have that impact and, and change the way that we live out our lives. If we do not receive God's mercy for us. It's impossible to be agents of God's mercy to the world. 
In the, the Wesleyan covenant prayer, he talks all about what it means for us to surrender, for us to, to sacrifice. Similarly, in Romans 12, Paul is talking about uh, offering ourselves as a living sacrifice, to offer our whole selves, our whole bodies, our whole being, mind, body, soul, and strength back to God as a living sacrifice. There is a sense of surrender. And for Wesley, this was paramount. I am no longer my own, but thine. I, am, I put, what, put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Let me be employed or laid aside. There's a, a submission that I am not in control here. That I'm okay with whatever it is that you want to do with this living sacrifice that I'm laying before you, which is myself, my whole self, my, all of my life. When we understand his loving mercy, we're not afraid of what God will do with our surrendered lives. We are his beloved. We are the target of his love, of his grace, of all of his affection. When we understand, when we understand the depth of his mercy, we're not afraid to hand stuff over because we know how he handles our lives. Because we know what he will do with it. We know that he will lead us in the right way. We know that he will, he will be a good steward of the life that we give him. Church, what in your life have you not trusted God with? That you have not surrendered because you don't trust what he might do with that area of your life, your time, your talent, your treasures, your kids, What is it in your life that you've not trusted God with? At communion, let's lay that before God. As we come to the altar later, let's lay those before God as we put our whole trust in him, as we offer ourselves as living sacrifices. Paul continues to build on this in verse two, off this idea of our response to his daily mercies. He says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul just told you that you can know what the will of God is. That question that we've been asking ourselves for so long, Paul is saying, here's it. If you wanna know what the will of God is for your life, listen up. If we keep his mercy in view, if we begin to trust him with our lives, we hand these things over to God, our, the, the things of our lives over to God, our whole selves over to God. As we walk in that trust, he aligns us with his way. The way what he does with the things that we give him are obviously his will. And so the next thing you know, you look up and you're beautifully aligned with God's will in your life. You don't have to question whether this is God's will because if we are fully submitting our lives to him, if we are fully trusting him with our lives, then we can't not walk in his will. In Galatians, Paul calls this walking in step with the spirit. I love it, like this image of a marching band where everyone is in step. 
where everyone is walking together. And as you take a step, the Spirit takes a step. As the Spirit takes a step, you take a step. It is an alignment with God's will. You want to know what God's will is for your life? It begins with keeping his mercy for you as the beginning of your lens. It means that daily we offer ourselves as living sacrifices. Church, your homework, as you leave this place, as you go back into your daily lives, is to sit, to sit with God's mercies, to open up the word of God and to read Romans 1 through 11 and just allow it to penetrate deeper than your knowledge. Allow it to move you. Allow it to shape your lens, to shape your worldview, to change the way that you view yourself, the way that you change, let, allow it change your relationship with others, allow it change your relationship to work and the world. Because I am no longer my own, but thine. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.